Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was sat down, his disciples came unto him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Back up to verse number 4, if you would, is our text tonight. The Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to preach about that tonight. I want to preach about the blessedness of mourning. Let's pray. Father, help me tonight as I preach. Lord, give me clarity. Lord, as I try to convey some Bible principles. And God, Lord, we do need to learn how to mourn for people, for the loss, for our sin, for those that are hurting. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you just put a conviction over each and every one of us tonight. Speak to us, God. Help us not to have just another ordinary service where we come in and sing a while and preach a while and go home. But, Lord, I pray that you'd really get a hold of our heart tonight. God, I pray that you'd create an atmosphere of revival in here. And, Lord, that we'd be tender. And, Lord, that we'd come to you tonight with a contrite heart and a brokenness. Bless, I pray, the message. Use it for your honor and glory. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, you check out that word, blessed. And it's talking about happiness, blessed, happy. You, you read it, the verses in the Bible where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And, and it goes on. What's that talking about? He's, he's talking about being, that man's happy that doesn't do those things. Amen? But the Bible says something very strange here. Happy are the mourners. I never met a happy mourner. But the Bible says... Blessed, happy, blessed are the mourners. I wonder, friend, in this generation, if we still know how to mourn over anything. I mean, over anything spiritual. We know how to mourn whenever we lose a job. We know how to mourn when our dog runs out in the street and gets run over. We know how to mourn losing somebody that we love, but do we know how to mourn over anything spiritual? Do we know how to mourn? I want to give you just some simple thoughts tonight about what I believe Jesus wants us to be mourning and weeping over. Uh, let me have you turn over to Romans chapter number 12 tonight. Romans chapter 12. 
And look, if you would please, in verse number 15, Romans 12, verse number 15, the Bible says that we're to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. I believe we ought to learn how to mourn for those that are hurting. Amen? I, listen, we, we, I, I, one of the men in my church called me today, and if you keep a prayer list, I want you to pray for a family named the Breedloves. His wife's got liver cancer and uh, stage 4 liver cancer. He's, he's my song leader. Good man. And he called me today. I just broken hearted about some of the things that are going on in their life. You know what? I think we ought to mourn for those and hurt for those that are hurting. I think we ought to learn how to have compassion. We're so callous, friend. Uh, we're so tuned into our needs. We're so tuned into our problems that we get tunnel vision and we forget how to weep with those that are weeping. Jesus was a mourner. Jesus knew how to mourn. I think of the story whenever Lazarus had died. And Jesus gets there to Bethany. And whenever he sees the people that are crying and he sees everybody that's broken hearted, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Now that's always struck, struck me as odd. Why did Jesus weep when he knows he's going to bring the man right back to life? I don't think Jesus was weeping that Lazarus was dead. I don't think that's what I don't think he's weeping for Lazarus. I think he's weeping because he saw all the people that were hurting. And he was weeping with them, friend. He was hurting with them. And that's the way it is. Have you ever been to a, a, a funeral before? That funeral is not for the person that's laying in that casket. That funeral is for those people that, that are hurting. And listen, the Bible says we ought to weep with them that weep, and we ought to rejoice with them that rejoice. And friend, I tell you what, if you're not walking with God, and if you don't keep a sensitive heart, you don't know how to rejoice when somebody else is rejoicing. And you don't know how to weep when somebody else is weeping. You read about Jesus whenever he is walking uh, to Jerusalem and he sees the city and the Bible said his heart breaks. And he looks out over Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And he begins to, oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. And he, and he cries out for them and he weeps for them because he knows, he knows what they're in for since they rejected him as their Savior. He knows the misery that's going to uh, come on them. He knows all the things that are going to happen. And Jesus was a mourner. And we need to learn how to be a mourner. Friend, listen, I tell you what, we cry over the craziest things. Isn't it amazing how backwards we are? You'll cry watching Bambi or Anna Green Gables. But you won't cry whenever somebody gives a, a prayer request or somebody's hurting or you find out about a real need. We get so disconnected. And I, I think the media and, and, and all the images we see all the time, I think it disconnects us from reality. I, I saw a, a video uh, this, this latest tsunami that went through Japan, it is easy to see all that wreckage and you just, you know, wow, that's pretty amazing. But it's hard to relate to somebody that's really hurting. And, and, but but one, one video in particular just really got a hold of my heart, man. I just, I, I watched this woman and she's out there and she's looking for uh, her son or her son-in-law. And here's just a picture of her standing in the middle of this rubble. And I mean, for miles ahead, all you just see is trash and splinters of home. And you see this woman out there looking. And whenever you see just how vast of an area it is where there's just nothing but garbage, you realize how hopeless that woman's situation is. And I saw that, brother. It broke my heart. I said, boy, that, I mean, do we know how to weep with them that weep? Turn over to Ezekiel chapter number 6. Ezekiel chapter number 6, and look in verse number... Oh, look at verse number 15. The Lord has something for Ezekiel to do. 
And Ezekiel wasn't very happy about it. He wasn't very happy about it at all. The Lord wanted him to go, and he says in verse number 14 of Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, so the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness. He said, I wasn't happy at all about it. Matter of fact, I was bitter about it. I went in the heat of my spirit. He said, I went with a wrong attitude. He said, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then came out of them of the captivity. And he says, I sat where they sat. You see that? What happened to him when he sat where they sat? Was he still bitter? Was he still angry? When he sat where they sat, what happened to him? The Bible said he sat there and he was astonished and he wept. For days and days he wept. You know why he was bitter and hateful before? Because he didn't see just how bad things were. And I tell you what, listen, if we, just, if we would just take a little bit of time out of our schedule and get to, get to know what somebody else is going through, I guarantee you, listen, you look around this room, and behind every face you see is a reason to cry. Behind every face is a reason to have a broken heart, a reason just to throw up your hands and say, man, I quit. I mean, everybody's going through something. And you find out about relatives of, uh, of folks that are, that, are, that are suffering and people that are sick and people that got wayward children. And I mean people sit in church with a broken heart. Hey, why don't you sit where somebody else sits every once in a while and see if you don't get a broken heart. Do we know how to mourn? Do we know how to weep for the hurting? Turn over to Psalm uh, 126, if you would. Psalm 126. I'll tell you another thing we should learn how to weep for, and that's for souls. Psalm 126, I want, I want to show you a little Bible principle here. The Bible says, Psalm 126, verse 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in what? Joy. And he that goeth forth in what? Weepeth, shall, uh, bearing precious sheaths, shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing, bringing his sheaths with him. So the Bible says, listen, if you're willing to weep now, later you'll rejoice. You see that? Now, if you flip over to Revelation chapter 21, you can look there if you want to. In Revelation 21, and some of the verses that we love to quote about heaven, is Revelation 21 and verse number 4, where it's talking about God wiping away all our tears. Now, think about something for just a minute here, friend. Have you ever thought about what it is that we're going to be weeping about in heaven? Why does God need to wipe away our tears in heaven? I thought when we got to heaven, we weren't going to cry no more. What is it that we're weeping about? Let me tell you what I think we're going to be weeping about in Revelation 21.4. In Revelation 20, there's a great event that takes place called the Great White Throne Judgment. Let me tell you what the Great White Throne Judgment is going to be. Every man, woman, and child that's ever been born that does not receive Christ is going to be standing before that Great White Throne. The Bible said that the sea is going to give up the dead which is in it. Death and hell are going to give up the dead which are in it. Everybody is going to stand before God on that day. And they're going to stand there as God opens up the Lamb's book of life. And there's going to be that crowd of people that God's going to say, I never knew you. Your name's not written here. You never received my son. I never knew you because you never received my son. And some of them people are going to be your grannies and pawpaws and aunts and uncles and sons and daughters. And we're going to watch as those angels grab them as they're screaming and crying. And we're going to watch as they throw them into hell forever and ever and ever and ever. 
I think that's what we're going to be weeping about. And at that moment, the Bible said God's going to wipe away our tears. After that, there's no more crying. After that, we'll never shed another tear. After that, we'll never have another broken heart. But I tell you what, I think the last bit of emotion for lost souls that we'll ever feel in our lifetime will be at that moment. Imagine how awful that's going to be. Awful. That's going to be awful, friends. So the Bible says weep now and you can rejoice later. Amen? Don't you think there'll be some shouting going on whenever your family and everybody gets together in heaven? Don't you think you can be happy to see your wife and your kids and all those people that you've loved and that you've witnessed to? Don't you think you'll be excited and rejoicing in heaven? You rejoice now, you'll weep later. You weep now, you rejoice later. So, friend, why aren't we weeping for souls? Why can't we spend any time praying for that lost person? How many times do we go out soul winning on a weekly basis and we can't even spend a minute and a half praying before we hit the road to go knock on doors? Why can't we spend a little bit of time and saying, Oh God, I need your power. God, this is important. God, this may be the only witness this person ever hears. This may be the only clear plan of salvation. God, help it to be right. Boy, we need some mourners. Amen. Dr. Rice used to say that when he used to preach, he couldn't hardly preach without crying. And he said he got so conscious about it, got so embarrassed about it, he started praying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me not to cry anymore. It's embarrassing. And he said God answered his prayer, and pretty soon his tears started going away. And he noticed when his tears went away, his sermons weren't nearly as powerful, and not many people were getting saved. And so John Arias started praying, Oh, God, give me my tears back. Give me my tears back. I'm sure I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. One of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. We were, it was our very first week of camp two or three years ago. And on a Wednesday night, we gave the invitation, and a young lady came forward in the center aisle, and she knelt right down here in front of the, front of the pulpit. And she's just down there weeping and sobbing. And everybody else was at the altar making other decisions, but her decision was she wanted to pray for her daddy to get saved. And I mean, God just stirred her up about it. And she was down there praying for her daddy to get saved. She was down there 30, 40 minutes at the altar. Everybody started going back to their seats, and she's still down there praying. And I mean, she's sobbing. You can hear, ooh, 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 praying for her daddy. Everybody started getting under conviction about it. They started thinking about their dads and brothers and sisters and all their friends. They started coming down and praying for their families. Some of the kids in our youth department started gathering around her and started praying for her. Oh, God, save her daddy. The preachers on the platform started finding out what this girl was praying about. And everybody started praying for her daddy to get saved. That was on Wednesday night. Thursday night rolled around the last night of camp. Usually, if my dad's in town, we have him close on Thursday nights. And before the service, he told me, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm preaching on the prodigal son tonight. He said, it sure would be neat if I could have a, a Harley Davidson or something to use as, as an illustration in this sermon. Because there's a, there's a story he's told for years about some guy that gets rebellious and runs off, buys a Harley and all that kind of stuff, and gets right and comes home. He says, sure would be neat to tell that story. It was like 10 minutes before church. I said, Dad, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know where in the world I can find you a Harley before church starts. He said, yeah, it sure would be neat, though. So we get up on the platform, and church has started, and all of a sudden, 
this Harley comes driving into camp. And I said, how in the world did he get a Harley that fast? He, he pulled some strings. I said, Dad, where'd you get a Harley? He said, I have no idea who that guy is. This guy comes walking into the tabernacle. Friend, listen, you don't just come to Mount Salem on accident. I mean, friend, we are out in the boondocks, man. You come to our church in the wintertime, you better have tire chains on. I mean, we're out there. And uh, he comes walking up in the tabernacle, walks up in the balcony, and come to find out, listen, friend, that man on the Harley was the young lady's daddy who had been at the altar the night before praying. Now, listen, I'm not exaggerating this. This guy hadn't seen his girl in two years showed up in that service. We handed him a phone in the PA booth, and he called down the platform and talked to Dad for a few minutes, and he said, I'm here to see my daughter. And right away, Dad began to put two and two together, what it was all about. And he said, I'd like to see my daughter. And Dad said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell your daughter you're here, but you've got to do something. You've got to sit there and listen to me preach for one hour. The guy said, okay, I'll do it. Of all things, man, Dad's preached on the prodigal son. I'm sitting on the platform, and you just know this guy's going to get saved. I mean, that you, I mean, you just know it. And so the invitation's given, and I, you know, anybody here not saved, raise your hand. He doesn't raise his hand. I thought, good night, this guy's messing up a good illustration. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to have to make up a good ending to make this story work out if I preach it, amen? Messing up a good illustration. And I watched him. Somebody went up there and, and talked to him. Asked him if he was saved, and I could just, you kind of read his lips, and he just, ah, I don't want to hear it, you know. Another guy went up there and talked to him, and finally, the young lady's pastor was sitting down there in the front row, and he happened to glance up and see the guy, and he recognized him, and he walked up there into the balcony, and as soon as those two men made eye contact, that man just began to weep. And I saw the preacher pull out his Bible, and that guy got saved. Now listen, listen. That girl... Still had no idea. She's at the altar again. This time she's right down here. And she's down there just a-weeping again, just a-sobbing, man. There's tear stains all over that dusty floor in the tabernacle. And she had no idea that not only had her dad showed up, but that he had gotten saved in the service. And somebody went down there and tapped her on the shoulder and told her about that preacher. And you, listen, you never heard such a bawling, squalling fit in all your life. And she went up there, oh! Friend, what would happen if we just started weeping for souls? If we just shed a little bit of tears for somebody that's lost? Well, we're so, we get so calloused. We're so desensitized. I tell you, it'd be a good thing for us to pray for some wayward, some prodigals. But you think about all the folks. Doesn't it, doesn't it grieve your heart to think about who should be sitting here tonight that isn't sitting here? Doesn't that break your heart? You imagine how many people would be, would be getting saved at Capital City Baptist Church if everybody that used to go to this church was still here and still active. I, that, that'll break our heart. You don't think that prodigal son's dad didn't do some weeping for that boy? Didn't do some praying for that boy? You don't think that every, every time they went to church that mama didn't raise her hand and say, Preacher, pray for our son. We don't know where he's at. We don't know what he's into. Pray God bring him back. Brother, listen, we need to learn how to weep for those that are out in the world. Man, we need some, listen, we need some praying mamas that will just be faithful to praying and praying and praying for those children. 
I think we ought to, I think, I think it would be a good thing for us to do some mourning for our families. Say, why, preacher? Well, you can mourn now and rejoice later. Or you can rejoice now and don't give a rip and mourn later. Amen? Are we so confident in our ability to raise our kids that we don't need God? Uh, let me tell you something. You know pastoring a church doesn't scare me near as bad as raising kids scares me. You know preaching a revival meeting doesn't scare me nearly as bad as raising kids scares me. And I think, dear God, I want my children to grow up and love you. God, I, I want them to marry that, that right person. That's scary, friend. I need God's help. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. You with me tonight? Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 21. The Bible says this. The Bible says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. You see that? You notice, you notice how he's talking about something that needs to happen now, so something will happen later. He's saying, Blessed are ye that weep now, for you're going to laugh later. Brother, listen, can I tell you something? It's, it's a lot easier to pray God's protection on your children before they're tempted with sin than it is to pray them out of sin. Yes, sir. There's a dear couple in our church, and I love them. And I watch them. I mean, almost every service I see mama wiping tears. They got two daughters out of church, out of the will of God. Brokenhearted, man, brokenhearted. Almost every time I speak with them, they say something about it. They mention it. They pray for them all the time. Friend, it's a lot easier to pray God's protection than it is to pray them back. We weep now, we rejoice later. We take it for granted now. We miss the opportunity now, we weep later. It's as simple as that. That's a Bible fact, friend. That's a Bible principle. You think about Hannah. Hannah did some mourning for her son. He wasn't even born yet. She went there to the, to the altar, and she's praying. The preacher sees her praying, and she's, man, she's, she, you, you could tell she's fervent in prayer. But she wasn't praying out loud. All you could see was her lips moving, and he thought the woman was drunk. And he goes to rebuke her for it, and she said, Preacher, it's, it's not that I'm drunk. It's that my heart's broken. I want a son. But her, her reason for having a son was a, was a noble reason. You know why Hannah wanted a son? So that she could give him back to God. What's your reason for having kids? Well, I just thought that's what you did when you got married. You know what our, our reason for having children is? So that we can raise them for God and give them back to God. We, we, we too often say, that's my children, that's my son, that's my... No, it's not. You know what our children are? The Bible says, number one, they're in a heritage from the Lord. But your children, is just, they're just enrolled in your university for a while. You're training them. So they grow up and serve God. You're training them to have some discretion. You're training them in some Bible truth. You're grounding them in His Word. Brother, you ought to be teaching them how to pray. Amen. Brother, I, I, listen, if you want to know something that, that touches this old daddy's heart, you, listen, you need to listen to my four-year-old son pray sometime. Brother, I'll tell you what, it'll make you weep. I never, I never met a little kid that prays like this kid prays. And his Sunday school teacher, she'll come out of Sunday school sometimes just crying. She doesn't pray like every Sunday because she loves to hear him pray. And we'll, I'll, say, I'll say, Eric, bless the food. And he'll say, oh, God, I love you, God. God, help me to grow up and serve you, God. 
Well, raising them for the Lord. Well, being the parent whose child surrenders for a mission field, and mom and dad said, no. We're trying to get you a scholarship. At, you don't think that happens? We have teenagers come through camp old time, surrendering to preach and everything else. And they say, preacher, my, my parents thank me for this at all. I know a lot of kids that get out of church because their parents just, they just won't let them serve God. Friend, those children, they're a gift from God, but they're not ours, they're His. And we raise them for Him, and we, we try to train them in the way that they should go. We weep now, we rejoice later. Can I tell you something else we ought to be weeping over? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Let me say, I believe we ought to be, we ought to be weeping over our sin. You know, that there was a day when this altar here, remember what it used to be called back in the days, the Great Awakening? and all. The, remember what they used to call it? The mourner's bench. The mourner's bench. Because people weeping over the condition of their heart. Now, I'll tell you something, friend. It's rare that you see somebody at the altar weeping over sin. Now, it may not be rare to see somebody crying in church. Man, you'll preach something, and it's sensitive. It's a sensitive topic to somebody, and they'll start crying. You start pulling some heartstrings with a poem or something, like, and people start crying. But it's rare, preacher, whenever you preach on sin, and people start crying. Look what the Bible says about mourning. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, he says that godly sorrow worketh what? Let that sink in for a minute. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. You want to know why people don't know how to repent over sin is because they don't know how to mourn over sin. That's how we come down to the altar. We come down, oh, dear Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I pray you forgive me for it. You really think that, you know what repentance is? Repentance is a turning. You really think you're going to turn from anything with that kind of attitude? God, you know I'm sorry, I've been listening to bad music. No, you're not. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. We don't know how to have a broken heart over sin. We don't know how to weep over sin. John the Baptist said, hey, bring some fruit meat for repentance. Amen. You know, I, one, of, one of my favorite people to preach about is the Apostle Peter. And I don't know if it's just because he reminds me so much of me or what it is about Peter, but he's so interesting. But I'll tell you, something happens in Peter's life when he denies Christ. You know what happened? The Bible says he went out and he wept. And you know, I believe that that was a... I believe that was the beginning, right there, I believe that was the beginning of Peter's restoration when he went out and wept. You know why? Peter never wept about anything. Peter was so stinking proud all the time. How many times... You remember whenever Jesus rebuked him and called him Satan? Remember that? Well, you think right then and there, Peter would have just... Oh, God, I'm so wicked. I, here I think I'm a great preacher, and you think I'm Satan. God, forgive me. No weeping there. You remember whenever uh, they tried to cast the demons out of the boy, and, and they couldn't do it, and Jesus cast them out, and he said, This kind cometh forth only by, by prayer and fasting? Boy, you'd have thought that would broke his heart. You'd have thought he'd fall down and say, Man, I need to be prayed up. I, I need to be closer to God. But no, no weeping there. You remember whenever Jesus told the story about the ten lepers? And he tells them, hey, listen, 
Ten lepers are healed. Only one came back to give glory to God. Do you remember who he was preaching to? He was preaching to his disciples. He was telling them they weren't thankful. Do you see any tears in Peter's eyes there? There's only one time I think Peter may have cried, and that's probably when God healed his mother-in-law. Amen? Other than that. But friend, listen, can I tell you something? There are some Christians, it's been so long since you've been brokenhearted over sin. It's been so long that if you started crying tonight, for the first few seconds, dust had come out of your tear ducts. Amen. We'll cry. Oh, we'll cry. When our favorite reality star gets voted off. Listen, your mind's so full of garbage. But to cry over sin, when's the last time you wept over sin? You say, Brother Randy, you know, I'm thinking about my life and there's really nothing to weep about. Friend, listen, that's why you need to ask God. Start asking God on a daily basis to break your heart over your sin. You don't think you don't need to mourn over being a gossip? You don't think you need to mourn about the fact that you never go to the altar anymore? You don't think you need to be mourning over bitterness? Friend, the Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance, that turning. Turn over to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. I really wanted to preach an exciting message tonight. Man, you hear some preachers, man, they can make people laugh and shout and everything else. I have a gift of, for making people mad. I think that's my only gift. <laughs> Amen. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. The Bible says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearest and long-suffering, and knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I used to preach that verse the wrong way. I used to preach that God's so good to us that it makes us want to repent. I don't believe that's what that's talking about. I don't believe when it says God's goodness, I don't think it's talking about his miracles and all those things. Because you know what I found out over the years, preacher? I found out those are the things that drive us away from God. When we get those financial blessings, that financial security, we get independent of God. We're crisis Christians. It's not... It's not the blessings of God and the miracles of God that cause us to want to repent. Oh, God's been so good to me, it causes me to want to get right about all sin I ever did. No, God's goodness is God's holiness, God's righteousness. When I think about the fact that I'm serving a holy God, and He knows where I've been, and He knows what I've been looking at, and He knows what I've been saying, and He knows what I've been thinking, the goodness of God leadeth me to repentance. Amen. Number next, what should we be praying for and mourning for? I'm just going to make a few up, amen, just to keep this thing going, amen. Let me, give you, let me give you a couple more here. I think we need to learn how to do some weeping and some mourning for revival. Friend, if ever there was a day that we should just take some time and weep over this country, do we believe we're living in the last hour? I believe we are, friend. I really do. I think at any moment, any moment Jesus Christ could come back. And friend, there ain't a stinking problem I have in this world that the rapture wouldn't solve. Amen? I mean, it could happen any moment. And this country is getting so wicked. I mean, where's the Christians that start praying whenever they hear about gay marriage bills being passed and all these abortion... Listen... We need to pray for revival. Our, our, our uh, 
uh, newest child. His name is Evan. And uh, I'm telling you what, this kid is a meatball, man. He's, he, is, he is a cute little dude, man. Looks just like me. <laughs> he got flaming red hair. I mean, I'd have never thought we'd had a redhead. Flaming red hair, bright blue eyes, ornery, ornery. We named him Evan Garris. Those are two names that mean a lot to me. The one name, Evan, was for the, the, the preacher, Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts started praying for revival when he was a teenager. And his mama said that he got so serious about praying for revival that there was many days he'd just lock himself up in his room and he wouldn't eat and he wouldn't sleep. He'd just praying and crying out to God for revival. Started getting his friends praying. They got their little youth group together and there was about eight of them in a service one night. And they're having a testimony time after that, after that little prayer meeting they had. And they were asking for testimonies and nobody wanted to raise their hand. And finally one girl raised her hand and she was a newly saved Christian, and she just said something like this. She just said, I, I, I want to say that I love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. And there was something about that service that started a revival in their heart at a prayer meeting, just a bunch of teenagers. And that revival started going throughout their church, and it started going throughout the other churches there in, in Wales. And that revival began to spread all through Wales and all through England and all through Scotland. I mean, one of the greatest revivals recorded in history. They would shut down uh, the newspapers and the top stories in the whole newspaper would just be about the progress of the revival. Amazing. Bars shutting down, and it happened in the life of a few young people. And that story inspired me whenever I was a teenager. I said, God, I want to be a part of something like that. Our son's middle name, Garris, is for, named after Dr. Ron Garris, passed away a few years ago. Brother Garris had a huge impact on my life. Brother Garris taught me a lot about the importance of prayer. Uh, every time I saw Brother Garris, and I was just a little, just a little bratty kid, but he took a liking to me for some reason when I was just a kid. And every time before he would get ready to preach, he'd always pull me aside and he'd have me pray with him. I don't know why he did that. But at one time we were at his, his National uh, Rock of Ages conference. And he's got about 15 of these great men of God with him, and they're about to walk on a platform. And I'm, I'm, I'm out there playing tag, running in the hallways. And he says, hey, Bubba. That's what everybody calls me at home, Bubba. Amen. Pastor Bubba, some people call me. And uh, Reverend Bubba, is a little, we're getting a little more dignified. Amen. Uh, he said, hey, Bubba, come here. And he brings me into this huddle with all these great men of God. And he makes all them preachers kneel down. And he has this bratty little, probably nine, ten-year-old kid pray for all these preachers. You know what that taught me? When I look back on it now, I realize Brother Garris knew the importance of the faith of a child and the prayer of a child. Brother Garris would come and preach at camp, and I don't know if there was a preacher that scared me more than Brother Garris. He scared me. As a teenager, he scared me. You know why? Because I knew he, was, he walked with God, and I knew when he came to camp, I was going to have to get right. I knew it. There's not a whole lot of preachers that would scare me. I knew I could resist it. I knew I could sit through those messages. But I knew when Brother Garris came to camp, I was going to be at that altar confessing every sin I had ever thought of in my whole life. We asked Brother Garris one time, Brother Garris, 
how do you prepare for your messages? I mean, you, you just have the power of God in your life. And he says, well, he said, every morning, about 6 o'clock, I get on my knees and I check in with God. And He says, sometimes I'll pray two, three hours. All our missionaries, all the ministries, I'll start praying for the, the message I'm going to preach that night. And he said, and I'll stop a little while and take care of some business in the morning. And he says, after lunch, he said, I'll check in again and I'll do some more praying. Spend a little bit more time with God. He said, in the afternoon, a couple hours before it's time to get ready to preach, he said, I'll get down on my knees again and I'll start praying again. And he said, so when 7 o'clock rolls around, it's time for me to preach. He said, after all that praying, he said, I just expect God to pay up. Well, that's a pretty good philosophy for preaching. Pray for revival. Amen. I think we need to take some time to pray for the power of God. This is the generation that thinks they can do everything with promotions and methods and everything else. And the one thing we don't have anymore in this generation is the power of God. You think we can have the power of God when it took Paul three days and three nights of fasting for the power of God? You think we can have the power of God when it took the disciples ten days in prayer before Pentecost? We think we can have everything so easy. We're not willing to pay the price for anything. We're not willing to mourn. We're not willing to weep for anything, friend. I'm going to close with these couple thoughts here. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 there's some benefits about mourning. One of those benefits is the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. Comforted. Thank God for the comforter. I love, I love the definition of the word comforter. Paraclete. The one that comes alongside. Aren't you glad, brother, when you're mourning that there's one that comes alongside? When you get that phone call that just turns your life upside down and you can't even get your wits about you there's someone who comes alongside and just puts his arms around you. Amen. But not only will we be comforted, but let me tell you what else mourning will do for you. Mourning will teach you how to empathize instead of just sympathize. There's a difference. I can sympathize with somebody that's lost a parent, but I can't empathize with them. There's a difference. One is, man, you feel sorry for what somebody's going through, but the other is when you've experienced it and you know what they've experienced, and brother, you know how they're hurting. You can empathize with that. I can have sympathy with somebody that's fighting with cancer, but I can't empathize. But some of you can because you've mourned it and you've wept and you've dealt with it and you've fought the struggle. That's one of the benefits of it. Amen? You can close your Bibles and look this way. Uh, there's a little boy asked his dad if he could have a dog. And uh, his dad said, yes, son, you can. He says, but you're old enough that you're going to have to work and save money. And you're going to have to buy that dog all by yourself. So the boy goes out and he gets himself a paper route. And every morning he'd get up early and he'd deliver those papers. And he saved his money and saved it and saved it. Saved up about $300. In those last few weeks, he'd start walking by that pet shop, and there was a, a, a dog that had had some puppies. And every day he'd walk by that window, and he'd look in there at them little puppies, and he'd just dream about bringing home one of them dogs. And finally, he 
walked by that pet shop and they had a sign out that said the puppies are now ready for sale. And that little boy goes to supper that night with his dad and he says, Daddy, I got the money saved and those dogs are for sale now, Daddy. I found the one that I want. And he said, well, son, after you eat supper, we'll go get it. You know how little boys are, man. They can slam that food down so fast when they have to. And he finishes for anybody else. He said, Dad, I finished my supper. Can we go? Come on, Daddy, please. And they go down to that little pet shop. And that boy walks right in the door without even having to look, without even having to think about it. He reached right down in there and grabbed that puppy he'd been wanting. He takes it up there uh, to the store manager, and he lays it on the, the counter. And the guy said, well, I see you found the one you wanted. He said, yes, sir, I did. And whenever the boy removed his arms from around that dog, the, the store manager noticed that the dog only had three legs. And he said, oh, son, I'm sorry. You can't have, I can't sell you that dog, son. I told, I told our employers, uh, employees this morning that they were supposed to take that dog out and put him down. We can't sell a dog like that. And he said, but you don't understand. This is the one I want. And he pulled out that wad of money, and he laid it on the counter, and he said, I got the money for it. He said, son, I can't sell you that dog. And he said, but this is the one. And his dad finally intervened and said, sir, what's the problem? Just, just sell him the dog. He's got the money. And the guy said, well, I can't charge you full price for it. And the kid said, no, I worked for it. You take the money. And the guy said, please, let me, give, let me get you a healthy dog. He said, this is the one I want. And he let him take that dog. And he didn't know. He said, why in the world that kid want a three-legged dog? And he watched as that boy grabbed that dog and began to walk out the doors. And he noticed as he walked, he walked out with those braces on his leg. You see, that dog was extra special to that little boy. There's a difference between being able to sympathize. That little boy could empathize with that little puppy. The Bible said, Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Friend, you can weep now and rejoice later. Or you can rejoice now, take it all for granted, and weep later. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, bless I pray what we have heard tonight. Speak to our hearts. God, Lord, I get so convicted when my heart gets hard and I forget how to cry and I forget how to have sorrow for sin. Lord, I pray that you'd just stir us up tonight. And Lord, if we can't mourn, God, I pray that you'd help us to pray every day, God, give me some tears. God, help me how to mourn for sin. Help me know how to mourn for souls. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.